working drummer. Now kick it. This is the Working Drummer Podcast, serving up perspectives, experiences, and stories from ground-level working pros. Advice, tips, and secrets on how to build a career in the music business. Hey everyone, this is Matthew Krause, and you are listening to the podcast Working Drummer. Today my guest is Sarah Tomek. Sarah has become one of the most in-demand drummers today. She's currently playing for Steven Tyler and Gretchen Wilson and the fast-rising Americana band Loving Mary. Born and raised in Asbury Park, New Jersey, Sarah found herself behind the kit at an early age. Her father, Joe Tomek, a formidable drummer in the New York 70s rock scene, inspired and shaped her natural talents. Early in life, she worked in many of the world-famous venues throughout New York City and New Jersey. Her ability to play a multitude of genres with effortless pocket and feel made her an easy choice for many producers. Recording for Maggie Rose, Glenn Burtnick, Gideon Luke, Lance Larson, and John Bon Jovi, just to name a few. To find out more about this episode and all the episodes that we've done, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Uh, You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. And while you're there, leave a rating and review. This really helps us grow. Also, if you like what we're doing here at the Working Drummer Podcast and you want to help sustain this ongoing project that Mike and Zach and I have been doing for over two and a half years, there's a way that you can help. And there are many progressive rewards for those of you who can help. I'm talking free Skype lessons from pro drummers like Ben Caesar and Carter McLean, a free Working Drummer t-shirt, access to bonus content, shout-outs, Twitter follows, and even a personal feature on you within an episode. Check out all the details at patreon.com forward slash working drummer. That is P A T R E O N.com forward slash working drummer. You'll see a link on our website at workingdrummer.net as well. Donations start out at a dollar per month. If you sign up to Patreon by June 30th, 2017, that's the end of this week, you'll be entered into a raffle to win a beautiful bundle of sticks and other things courtesy of Innovative Percussion. So let's get to it. Let's talk to Sarah Tomek. Loving Mary Band is a six-piece band. Mm-hmm. Um, and we started three years ago. Um, as an Americana slash country band, it's uh, got some really solid songwriters out of Nashville in it. And we started doing that, um, pursuing originals. Yeah. And then the producer, one of the leaders of that band was is Marty Fredrickson, who is a producer, a songwriter. He had done a lot of stuff with Aerosmith. And Steven Tyler wanted to come to town to do this country thing. So Loving Mary became his backup band. Yeah. And that was, um, you know, some time ago. That was two years ago. So I'm just fast forwarding to my last month <laughs> where <laughs> Loving Mary has become um, the backup band for country artist Gretchen Wilson. Okay. So on top, on top of doing our own opening slots for her, which um, we have some opening slots where Loving Mary gets to do our original sets in front of Gretchen Wilson. Nice. Uh, we also have a 75 really, really rocking Gretchen Wilson set. So. Yeah. Primarily this month, that's what I've concentrated on. Mm -hmm. Um, We started rehearsals in the beginning of the month, tour rehearsals, Mm -hmm. doing that. Um, So, and then we went out with her. We've only had about four or five dates with her, but it's been all country festivals and her solo shows. So anywhere from like a thousand to 
30,000. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's been nice to be back on the country circuit. So that's been more my concentration on the, the month of June in the midst of doing dates with Maggie Rose for the CMA Fest, which was also <laughs> in the beginning of the month. So we right. did, uh, I think, four or five dates in, in four days with her. Yeah. Cramming them all in. And, um, you know, I just finished the record, uh, her EP with her that I had played on. So I did that with Maggie Rose, and that record was completed maybe about seven months ago. Okay. It was just released. It was just released a month ago. So that's kind of new in the can for me, too. And um, and I know tonight you say you have a you have a CD release party, uh, a record release party. What uh, what group is that? Yeah, tonight is um, actually full on vinyl record. We have uh, CDs and vinyl, uh-huh. uh, and that's with a band, Them Vibes, the okay. Nashville rock and roll band. That's quite phenomenal, if I must say so myself. <laughs> It's one of my favorite projects I've ever gotten to do. Yeah. Um, and it's not biased because my husband's in it. Okay. Is he right <laughs> um, there? I mean, you know. Is he listening in? Yeah. <laughs> he is. Hey, what's happening, brother? <laughs> <laughs> but um, that, that record we also just did, that was released May 5th. That was the official release of that record. So, yeah, that was something else I did. But that is an actual full-length rock and roll record where I used several different drum sets, 10 snares, um, several different configurations of cymbals. The band recorded live, mm. no replacements, yeah. no drum replacements, no, no beat detectiving, mm-hmm. no, no, none of that. So that is a real rock and roll record. And I'm super proud of that just from the tonality of the record, the playing on the record. Um, I think it's an amazing drum record. Um, cool. just, just by the sounds of it, I think it's super groovy. I'm so proud of it. Um, it's just a great record, you know? Well, um, on that, so I mean, cause I, you mentioned um, that you had recorded with Maggie, uh, I'm sorry, uh, yeah, Maggie Rose. Yeah. And uh, what you were, the way you were describing them vibes, that, that recording, it, would that distinguish the, the type of recording that you did between the differences between recording with Maggie Rose and them vibes? Yeah, I think it's a much different avenue that we went down. Mm-hmm. Um, I think in Nashville, um, and that's not to even talk negatively about what's going on with the recording process, but it's right. very much, you got everything you need in Nashville. Everything's very quick. You got your session guys that come in. Everybody uses... Um, the ultimate drummer to replace drums and you know you come in and you can just nudge this and you want to just get like kind of two three takes on stuff and then you're out out the door you know so right it, you, i know what you're saying it's that. not it's it just becomes standard it's not an it's not a well, dig on one thing or a, a stu- it's just it becomes a, a industry standard the way things are done so like it or love it yeah, or hate it you you're know pretty- yeah, and these producers and engineers are very comfortable with using their guys, mm-hmm. and that's it. Right. So I've been really fortunate to be playing with Maggie. For, this is the sixth year. Took me damn four years to even get to play on her stuff, you know? <laughs> um, so. <laughs> Can I chime in on that? There was one, there was a session that they did. They had all session players, the, yeah. same, guys that everybody, the same guys that everybody uses. The great, this great keyboard player, great bass player, 
great guitar, all that. And Sarah came in and did a session, and she she slayed it. And these guys, they didn't use their their normal drummer, and they were all you know. And everybody, you can get the feeling like everybody's like, well, who's this? And we're, uh, you know, we, we're gonna have to take more time and whatnot. And she absolutely, and I'm not just saying that, but she's you know because she's my wife, but she's a really great drummer, and and it was probably the best drums that at the time that Maggie had ever had on her record because it had. She plays the songs live. She's been playing the songs for all, over and over and over again. So That's the nuance, the little nuances, the little nuances are all there. As opposed to a cat that hears the song on a work tape, a, de- a little work tape or demo, they hear the song for ten minutes and then they all go and play it. So the nuance was there, and the, it was just perfect. It was great. That's awesome. That's great, man. He's, thank my, he's my manager. <laughs> That's great. We're literally just on the porch on a rainy day. Yeah, great, good, good. I'm 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 looking out my window, kind of watching it. Uh, this but dreary you know, Larry, day. Larry, my husband, he's he's a drummer as well. You know, drummer turned frontman, writer, singer. So <clears throat> being with him is is kind of cool. You know, because he he gets it. Mm-hmm. You know, he gets it for what it is. And and these Nashville things were really scary and. Maggie's always wanted me to play on the record, but the producers just wouldn't allow it. And now she started to self-produce things, you know? Mm -hmm. So the first way she had me in was literally on a demo session, you know, where you have five writers of the publishing company and you get one demo day. So each artist gets two cuts. You go in there for six hours, you got to cut that many songs, you know? And I was nervous as hell because it's the same dudes playing on everything. And, And here comes... Me, let alone this new person, let alone being a female, yeah, in one of these things, and uh, you know, it went great. And she, they, her, and her publisher gave me a, a chance and a shot yeah. at doing yeah. it to prove myself, and that's pretty admirable just for her as an artist, as a, as a friend, and just having faith in my playing. Yeah. And then uh, she had me on, of course, to do her EP. Okay. So it was me and her bass player to do her EP, and her bass player is phenomenal. His name is Kyle Whalem. Okay. Um, he's one of my favorite cats in Nashville, mm-hmm. and he's our live guy. And we went in and tracked uh, four songs out of the five. Okay. Um, you know, we did it at Starstruck Studios, but it was a much different process than the Them Vibes record. It was much more, you know, straight ahead pop. Right. You know, it it wasn't a band in a room. It was a pop record, so it's yeah. me replacing loops, kind of. So. You know, it wasn't as much of an organic thing, but, you know, it was a pop record that had live drums. How would you describe Maggie Rose to someone? She's pop. I think Maggie is pop. I think that's what she writes. I think Mm -hmm. that's her stronghold. You know, she's pop, and now she's kind of going in more of an organic route. I see. And she was kind of the reason why you came to Nashville. Is that correct? Is that my understanding? Yeah. 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 Um... She, in New Jersey where I lived, she was writing with a writer I was playing with at the time. Um, And she was, God, she was, she was about 18 maybe. Okay. Um, And and she kind of came in with an acoustic guitar and opened for our band in New Jersey. And, you know, and then she made her move to Nashville. And five years later, I was playing in a in a club in Florida with her business manager. And he had remembered seeing me play and said, Hey, do you remember Margaret? And I'm like, yeah. Like, well, she moved to Nashville and she's got this whole career started. And 
you should really consider doing this and why don't you come down for an audition? And I'm like, sure, crazy guy. <laughs> like it like it happens that easier. Like I'll just quit my day job and all my, my projects in Manhattan sure. and I'll just move to Nashville. And there's no musicians and, in Nashville, so we need, come on. Come yeah, <laughs> exactly. Like why me? Um, and it honestly did happen like that. You know, um, the next week I got the offer to come to Nashville. She flew me down there. I auditioned for her manager at the time, Scott Simon. Okay. And James Stroud, who is a drummer slash big Nashville producer. Yeah, yeah. And I got the gig, and I had to quit my job and move in two and a half weeks. So, wow. You know, I got to get moved to Nashville, be put on a gig, and be immediately put on a tour bus. And I, we did 180 dates in eight months. Oh, my gosh. So that never happens. I was very lucky. Yeah. Um, you know, I so grateful for Maggie for believing in me and her management team and all that, seeing the vision of what she had. And, you know, now I, I band lead for her and I tour manage for her as well. And, yeah. It sounds like it's, I mean, yeah. the investment in you has, has paid off definitely. And for her, so. <laughs> yeah, I think it, yeah. it sounds like it. Well, as we're kind of going backwards, working our way backwards, um, can we kind of start closer to the beginning? There's a great article in Modern Drummer about you that goes over a lot of this, um, but so I don't want to repeat too much. But at the same time, I I do want people to know or our listeners to know your unique background as far as well. I mean, uh, there are drummers who's parents were musicians that influenced them, but your father as a drummer and a significant drummer in the New York rock scene, kind of how that shaped who you are now. Can you tell me some about that? God, you know, um, it's so funny. My A bass player I played with for years uh, had heard one of my father's live records or something, and he goes, oh, my God, I know that groove anywhere. <laughs> it's so funny that, like, it, it it was like, it just happens. Like, you kind of were just, I was just born with something from him. Um, yeah. Because let's face it, you never want to listen to what your parents have to say when you're growing up. You, you don't, <laughs> you know, want to ever you know my dad wasn't cool he was a weirdo he was a drummer he wore leather he <laughs> he he had a mustache he smoked cigarettes you know he he was just a rock and roll dad and none of my friends had dads like that and yeah you know like you just almost rebel against it you know and god you know i i just i guess fell in love with drums without even knowing it the funniest story my mom says is like I think it was like a toddler running around naked and that was when pay-per-view was still a thing <laughs> going back like 86 or 87 yeah and uh she said there was a db brothers um drum solo on the on the live concert broadcast yeah and i just stopped in front of the television and like she couldn't get my attention she called my name like three times and she was just like oh shit <laughs> and, and i was like four years old three years old and you know was it a choice i don't know um, and my father played and would try to show me how to do things. And I'd be like, I got it, dad. I got it. You know, and I'm like 10 years old and thinking I know everything. And, right. Right. You know, he, my father had me on a quick track when I was 11. Oh, nice. Uh, 
He's like, don't freaking hit so many symbols all the time. You know, mm-hmm. he just, you know, tried to show me a little bit of studio ethic. Um, mm-hmm. How much I actually listened to him, I don't know until later in life. But, right. you know, that groove fortunately kind of transcended to me. I don't think I'll ever be as good of a drummer as my father, but, mm-hmm. uh, you know, yeah, that just kind of got instilled in me. I don't, I don't know how. Yeah. Um, but he was a bad man and, and, and just having those records in the house, you know, like I was into vinyl when I was like 10 or 12 years old. Like I thought records were cool. What were you so listening to? It was all the stuff my dad had. It was all, you know, we were, my husband and I were looking through the records the other day. It's like the original Sgt. Pepper's records, mm. like so much Beatles and all the Zeppelin records, mm-hmm. you know, and he loved other stuff like cactus and vanilla fudge and mm-hmm. you know he he loved big drums like d- dominant drum ideas you know he loved that yeah um well say that again dominant drum. Com- drum ideas like you know how how vocalists have like a vocal id and that's just kind of like the timbre of their voice yeah I, I i believe drummers have drum ids and i think you know like play like bonham yeah play like phil collins yeah. play like ringo i think like if you can create a drum id you know, that that's something really spectacular and people know what that means. Like Yeah. You know, play like Copeland. You know, that's right. just like a whole identity. I didn't know Aaron uh, Copeland played drums. Oh, I'm sorry. Stuart Copeland, sorry. <laughs> no, I know what you, that's I mean, my father was big into that, so yeah. I think I just loved the drums from, from that. Like listen to Phil Collins records, Boss Skaggs. Mm-hmm. He loved he loved records that just had great great effing drums on them, you right, know? Right, right. So I was always listening to it. No, I love that. I love that. I just that idea and and the the I've never heard it put that way or that terminology used. But when you yeah. hear a Kenny Arnoff feel and Phil, you're like, I know who that is. Yeah, exactly. And especially like non musicians or non drummers around you, they're like, How do you know who that is? Well, I mean, listen to that snare drum. Listen to that approach to this song and it's so true i wonder do you ever like adopt certain drum ids with material that you're either performing live or in the studio and think you know what this is this needs a phil collins thing or this needs oh my god 110 Mm percent i think that's part of the job yeah you know playing in, in a lot of different outfits in nashville and even before I left Nashville, I did a lot of, um, like, tribute stuff in New Jersey and New York City. I did uh, a Led Zeppelin tour. That was my first big tour. Okay. So I had to do two and a half hours of Bonham, and that was, wow, that was that was a difficult thing, you know? Um, trying to get my right foot triplet feel up to 88 BPM to do Good Times, Bad Times. I didn't think I could get it, you know? And yeah the first show there it was you know and so yeah i've had a play like that and then i would do this other show it was called the summer of love show <laughs> and it was with um a guy named glenn burtnick out of new jersey and he had been in beatlemania and electric light orchestra and he he was a huge writer with don henley he wrote some don henley's i mean he's just a monster so he would do um these tribute shows called he would do a british invasion show uh-huh. so i would have to play like that yeah i mean doing keith keith moon was <laughs> one of the hardest things because i had to do it to a track 
Oh, interesting. And and Baba Baba O'Reilly speeds up at the end. That was terrifying, but I nailed it. It was awesome. <laughs> so that that drum idea was really hard. Uh huh. And he would do a lot of Beatles stuff. So the Ringo thing, trying to he would send me isolated Beatles tracks, and I would leave with my left hand on some of that stuff just wow, to right. try to embody Ringo. And then he would do these Summer of Love shows, and that was like a '60s thing. So tr- trying to play like a '60s drummer. It's just trying to play like a jazz drummer, first learning rock. So it's like this almost amateur, innocent feel to rock and roll drums in the 60s. Exactly. You know? Yeah. So trying to embody that. So I think, I think I've done a lot of that in my career. And I, I think that's, that's a good thing. You know, I, I can't find anything negative about it. You know, even on the Them Vibes record, I mean, on this one song, Hangin', it's a 56 BPM shuffle. And it's just pocket, and I use a 26-inch kick on it, and it tried to really embody that Bonham spirit. Yeah. Of course, I ripped off his fills, and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, yeah, I think I think that's important for a drummer to be able to flip switches sometimes. There's a, there's a guitar player I, worked, I recorded with a couple months ago, and he's, there's one song, it was so Hendrix, and it was in three, and I'm like, yeah, I'm so sorry, man, but. Can we? I'm just going to try this to see if it works. And it was a total third rock from the sun, Mitch Mitchell thing. And he's like, "Yeah, please do that." I was like, Ugh. "Yeah." But but that being said, um, it was still me. So yeah, when you're kind of all this stuff is filtering through your hands, and even the influence that your father had with you, um in spite of the comment that your bass player said about the recording that he heard, it's still you, right? Yeah. 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 And does anybody, does anybody say, I heard something and I, I knew it was you, Sarah? Yeah. Um, Maggie says that stuff all the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, a, a lot of times it's more like the, the cast I've played with. Yeah. My old bass players say that a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, like just, uh, just the whole feel and the vibe of the playing, and you know, darn it, it's super hard to talk about yourself in a in a, in a positive light. I'm not a good um, <laughs> self promoter for sure, but yeah, I've had a lot of a lot of guys uh, and artists say, you know, it's like that tone back thing, and um, yeah, yeah, I can't really describe what it is, but um. Hopefully, it's just the comfort that I bring to the table to make the musicians play as best as they can. Because you really can only be as good as your drummer. So, if I'm not serving it to them on a silver platter, then I'm probably doing something wrong. You know. The things now that we have, well, we have access to so much information that is easy to access for, you know, seeing who this person is, hearing them. The videos that I watched of you playing and and the different things that I saw, there is, as kind of while we're hanging on this subject, there's a vibe and an attitude and an energy that I saw that was so consistent from one thing to the next. And um, so I wonder if, if you can talk a little bit about that because you've got a smile on your face. There's just a, a great energy... Um, that you seem to bring to the table 
in the live recording and the live videos that I've seen. Um, can can you address some of that stuff? Kind of, it, does that come naturally? Hi. Did did you have to work on you that know, or what, what? So many people. It, it's funny. Like so many people comment on that, and mm-hmm. um, one time I had to do this like um, this mock. Like we were doing that Robert Palmer song where it was like all the models were girls <laughs> in the video. Yeah, yeah. And you couldn't smile, and he's like, "No, you can't smile," <laughs> knowing just how much I smile with the just sheer love of of playing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was so damn hard for me, and it was three minutes, and I couldn't even do it, you know? Um, I just, I don't think I realized how much I love drums until I'm actually in the middle of it. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. um, it just feels like home, and getting in a live scenario for me, it, I just really welcome the challenge of it all leading the band, it's just, I really just get off on it. Mm-hmm. And I don't, none of it's fake. Like I, you know, I, it, I have such joy. Yeah. Like I'm getting to play music. Like I came from doing this anyway in three projects in Manhattan and doing a nine to five job. And now I'm a full-time musician. How I got here. I don't know mm-hmm. how long I'll be here. I don't know, but yeah. like, for now, I'm the happiest girl in the world. Yeah. You know, yeah. like, I mean, I get to play with some of my best friends, my husband, I, and they're amazing artists. Mm-hmm. I, I get to do different genres. I get to travel the country, the world. Yeah. I get to play with my idol <laughs> of rock and roll. Like, who do I think I am? It's just, there's just a joy that, sure. that sometimes I see these session guys or work for hires out on the road and like they have no joy on that stage and it shows. Yeah. yeah. And I've even commented to some of my buddies, like you gotta like look like you're having a good time. Cause somebody else will. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like, no, that's important. I've seen that. Yeah. It, and I, I've seen it in myself and you know, I think the thing is, is, is I can tell people and like, no, you don't understand. I love this. I am having so yeah. much fun. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. Pretty much, except for being with my kids, would and my family would be. I'd rather be nowhere else. But it, yeah. It, but my sometimes I don't know if it, just the way that that I've approached playing and listening, my face does not project joy, and and I struggle <laughs> really? with that. It doesn't. It doesn't. And so I have to remind myself. To, and I, I, somebody uh, said, "Yeah, it's like they're like I was watching you play, and I could tell you had to remind yourself to smile and look like you're having a good time, and then it would go away. You start to concentrate, and then you'd remind yourself to look happy. And so you're, you know, constantly going back and forth. Um, kind of like probably the, the opposite of you, where they were telling you to, to not smile on that video. And yet, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, um, well, no, but, but no, that's funny because it, that happens. I mean, I've told an artist, a singer, like, like, you know, you need to sh- look like you're struggling for the notes mm. because you're too damn good at this. It's too easy. You need to make it look hard. You know, and, and that's funny that you say that. Like, um, hey, some people 
concentration phase is just a little different, you know? Yeah, and I think I think maybe it's just when you're feeling, when, when there's a groove happening that, that gets you to move behind the kit, maybe it's not always has to be this happy, crazy happy thing. Yeah. Uh, I've seen some punk bands where the drummer's smiling and it's like that looks sometimes a little weird uh yeah Yeah. (laughs) uh, but anyways no i i it was just it was fun it was just like i get it and it just seemed very natural it doesn't it didn't seem forced and i can only imagine how that translated to everyone on stage and then through to the audience and you know, sometimes there's been times when people say, hey, I really enjoyed your show. You guys look like you were having so much fun on stage. And it's like, yeah, that that's kind of a light bulb that goes off. And you're like, oh, yeah, people are really they're entertained. They're there to see you live and perform. And so there's something going on. Attitude that transcends to the listener. Yeah, energy. Energy absolutely transcends. Mm-hmm. That's the live experience. That's exactly what you want, you yeah. know? Yeah. Um, you I meant- don't like the shoegazer thing. The the what? I don't like like the shoegazer thing. Oh. <laughs> you know, and when 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 actors just like standing up. Even though I love sad sad music and indie music, it's just like the shoegazing thing is not my uh, <laughs> not my. T- <laughs> I see. Hey, and and you know, there's that there's that uh, drummer jam tribute to Bonham. That's a great video of you playing Black Dog, and and you're not wearing, yeah. sh- and there is no shoes. Sarah? No. Uh, <laughs> you know? So they, no, no shoegazing for you, for sure. That was a terrible day for me. Like, our bass player had just quit our band, and she was my best friend in the world. Oh. And, like, I was literally, like, crying up until I had to get on the stage. I was super emotional. And uh, it was my first drummer's jam, so it was my first entry into this club. Yeah, and of course they put me on first to test me those those mofos, and then uh, <laughs> you can cuss on this. Kevin Murphy, <laughs> Ke- okay, good. Um, and and Kevin Murphy, like we plays with Hauser. Yeah, he's like, wait, and he ran out to get his camera to just videotape that because he had seen me do the rehearsal, and he's one of my really good buddies. And yeah, yeah. And I held the show for two minutes just so he could video that, and the the fact that he got that, what a great friend. Um, but yeah, I I would prefer not to wear shoes. I have really ugly feet, <laughs> um, but I'm kind of letting go of that at this age. But yeah, yeah, I don't know. I don't know where that comes from. But well, you know, well, because for... as a woman, you 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 don't wear Converse. I wear high heels. I wear stilettos. I wear boots. You know. Yeah. I try to feminize the instrument as much as I can, uh-huh. just so. I changed reputation of it for females as a, as a masculine instrument. And I tried mm. to do that for so many years. So I'm like running on stage with stupid stiletto heels. Yeah. I mean, I can, I can play with them, but if I'm, if I'm up there for an hour, I'm going to just play barefoot. So I guess maybe that's where it came from. I, I, you know? I just find it interesting. Cause you know, for like 30 years I played barefoot and that was, it was right. almost like my thing. And, and it got kind of crazy in my head about it, you know? And then just recently, I'm like, you know what? Just put some shoes on and just play and just don't. I mean, I I, I get so blown away by, you know, players that just sit down no matter what it is, no matter what kit it is, no matter what sticks it is, then just sit down and just just lay it down. 
And it's like, yeah. I, I got to get over all this stuff and just do it. And so I'm kind of going back and forth. But I was, I saw that. I'm like, oh, man. And especially some of the bottom right foot stuff going on. I'm like, uh, should I be playing barefoot again? Because that's killing. Yeah. <laughs> She's killing that. Oh, my God. Uh-oh. Do you have any experiences or stories that you could share that could be empowering to a young female drummer that might be getting fed an outdated narrative that girls can't or shouldn't be drummers? Um, God, I mean, it happened a lot more when I was younger. Mm-hmm. And when you're younger, you just have a more timidness about you and you're young. So, I mean, there was so many times I was at least tried to take advantage of, even by like promoters. Mm. Like, where they would grab my ass. Mm. I mean, I, you know, from that stupid stuff to, you know, just the whole girl thing. I've, I've dealt with it in the studio, live, promoters, in, you know, every which way. And I think, I just think when you catch up to your maturity and when you start to mature, when you really... Um, get self-empowered. And that's going to come from within. Because mm. once you start putting that out into the world, nobody's going to, nobody's going to mess with that. Okay. And I think lately I, I don't, I don't live in fear anymore of anybody's opinions, objectifications of women in the industry, mm-hmm. uh, of, of any of those anymore. And that's just came with age and me just shedding it out for 10 years. Um, yeah. But I've had all these scenarios, and it always hasn't been peaches and cream, you know. And I think, I think the best thing to just say to anybody is like, just know your truth, yeah, and follow your heart, and just prove everybody wrong. Right, right. It, it was my constant job to prove everybody wrong and myself right. Yeah, and in doing that, this comes empowerment, and I don't give a shit what anybody else says. Um, you know, and that's what I would say and, and, and create some kind of family and support group for yourself. You need to be supported with, in, in the musician community, you need to have friends. You can't just go out there and do it alone, right, you know, right, right. Like, you know, that, that strength comes in numbers and you need, you need that. <laughs> so, sorry, dog. That's good. That's cool. No, yeah. I, yeah, no, thank you. I mean, that's. I mean, again, I just don't hear about it very much. Uh, as I mean, from when I was younger, and like, well, girls don't play drums, and that just even, even when I was younger, that seemed like an outdated thing. And like, what are you talking about? You know, it's like there's so many great drummers, female drummers that are coming up, and then you see more and more, and and uh, so it it seems like a silly. Yeah. I, I I was kind of going back and forth on whether I even wanted to address that issue. Um, no. I appreciate it because, let's face it, I'm a girl. It's not, you know, I'm usually the only one out there doing doing this job um, mm-hmm. behind the drums when I'm out on country tour and all that stuff. Um, yeah. And I I appreciate and I welcome the challenge of it all. I yeah. really do. Yeah. Uh, it gets me off to prove people wrong. Um, <laughs> nice. And, and where I'm not um, big on the scene of like, girl drummers because I think it shouldn't be such a thing. So I haven't really put myself in that community. Mm, okay. Uh, 
But just recently, I decided to make a change on that. And I literally just reached out to, and I don't even know the female community uh, in Nashville. And I, I need to learn a little more because I am planning on doing something with it. Okay. And uh, I just reached out to three other females that I know or I've played with uh, just to go out um, and start talking and start, you know, just having this conversation about drums and females in the industry. We're actually going out next week. We're just all going to have a beer and just talk. And, uh, you know, I want to I want to be able to help anybody if, if I happen to be in a better scenario or mm-hmm. give advice or take advice or... Mm-hmm. You know, just know that we are a community. We can become that and showing no fear in that. And uh, I think I need to get more involved in the community because I've been fortunate enough to have like a cool gig here and there. And, Mm -hmm. and I want, I want to be able to kind of empower others. So it's funny you bring that up. I'm like trying to immerse myself more in the female community in my spare time. (laughs) <laughs> no doubt. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's parallels, I think, with the drumming community, and, and we, we support each other, and then there's the musician community, and, um, you know, I had the Black Drummers of Nashville Roundtable, and I think there's a support community amongst uh, some of those players that they they just, yeah. that sometimes is unspoken, and sometimes it, it it's something that needs to be um, created. There needs to be a foundation um, for those types of communities to show support. And, and, and that's kind of reinforcing the idea of creating friends and bonds and community within the business, because that's what yeah. will sustain you. And this is just another avenue. And, and I love that. And I often think about that too, because the black community and country world wasn't really a thing, was it? No, you know, no. And one of my, my good buds, Keo, was out there playing on two huge country gigs. And I love that. Yeah. You know, um, but what's funny, when I first moved to Nashville, I had an altercation with a, with a black drummer. Hmm. And he was super negative because he didn't have a gig because he was black. Hmm. But I had a gig because I was a girl. And I was like, well, no, 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 we're fighting for the same thing here. Mm-hmm. You know, and that, that bothered me. Oh, that's but, interesting. But, you know. Uh, that sounds like that, something something within that he was struggling with. Yes, for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah. Um, but, you know, so I identify with that on, on a certain level. Um, I think it's really brave when I, when I see, you know, um, black guys out, out in the community doing it in the country world. I really don't know any females that are doing it um, as a musician, but... Um, you know, it's it's still a, a fucked up world, you know? Yeah. Like, it's still racist. I know. It's it's not good out there. So I, um, high fives to that, you know? Yeah. We're, we're trying to do the same thing, break down the stereotype in some way. So where do you go to find a treasure trove of information about vintage drums, custom drums, and legendary drummers? NotSoModernDrummer.com Since 1988, Not So Modern Drummer is an institution dedicated to researching and documenting the history of modern drums, the art of drum building, and the legendary drummers who play them. The writers and contributors are some of the top vintage and custom drum experts from around the world. Not So Modern Drummer serves as an online gathering place and marketplace for the worldwide community of drummers who buy and sell, collect, preserve, and play these instruments. It also hosts drum-related events that are attended by drummers from all over the world. 
This website is easy and fun to explore, and the monthly digital magazine subscription is free. So check out notsomoderndrummer.com. I, you know, didn't like to really come out as much about what a huge germ I am for Aerosmith because I loved them as a kid. <laughs> uh, and, like, when I say, like, loved, I mean, like, I fucking loved them. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. uh, and nobody, nobody was, like, in, in, in middle school was, like, Aerosmith's my favorite band of all time except for me. Like, I was a total dork. So... Yeah. I I would come, I came to Nashville and the two buddies I would always hang out with. We'd listen to records all the time and we'd always listen to the Aerosmith records. So one of the first shows I had introed into the Nashville community was um, a thing called Metal at the Mercy. And they would do the shows at the Mercy Lounge. This later turned out to be the Rock and Roll Residency and I'll get to that because it's part of the story. Okay. Um, so we did uh, an Aerosmith night. It was called Yaka Kaka Cow. <laughs> and it was... Uh, <laughs> and it was, um, we did the entirety of Toys in the Attic and the Rocks album. Mm. And that was within the first year that I moved to Nashville. So we did that. Um, <clears throat> so that's already saying like what a huge fan I was because we did those two records. Um, and then um, about, man, I don't know, two years later, uh, these guys started doing this rock and roll residency uh, thing every Tuesday. It was a free event at Dan McGinnis. Okay. And it was straight up like all B-sides, you know, some some singles, but it was like super cool, like metal, all 70s, some early 80s stuff, metal or straight up rock and roll. And they would always come up to have me do the Arison stuff just because we all did that show together, you yeah. know. So yeah. come up and play this or that. So... I'm there in the studio that day. I'm uh, right down the street on Music Row. I am recording in Marty Fredrickson's studio, uh, which is Quad Studio at the time. Okay. And I'm actually recording the first the first time I ever got to track with Maggie Rose. Okay. First time I track with her, I'm in this guy's studio. I don't meet him. I track this song. We go out. We celebrate. We have a couple beers, and I'm like, "Oh, I'm going to play at the residency." So we just have a couple beers and we go to the residency, right? Mm -hmm. And they had me come up and they had me play a song called uh, Lord of the Thighs, <laughs> which is like a, a deep cut, um, I think off of the second record. Okay. <clears throat> and I get up on stage and we play this like nine minute song. And then I get off the stage, you know, Maggie was there, we were celebrating, you know, and, and, and I get off the stage and then there's Marty and he's like, hey. I'm Marty Fredrickson. Yeah. And I was just like, in my head, I'm like, weird. I just recorded at your studio. Yeah. And, you know, that's just so funny. And he would just happen to be at Dan McGinnis, see me playing an Aerosmith song. Yeah. So he, he, you know, already was working with Steven and I, I didn't know that. And immediately that night was like, Steven found our drummer. Oh, wow. Knowing, just seeing me play that one song. And he's like, whoa. And, uh, that is literally how it happened. I played an Aerosmith song in a bar. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and his producer, songwriter, slash friend saw it. Yeah. You know. Nice. Uh, oh, crazy. And, 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 and so now the band Loving Mary is, that's also Gretchen, the, you, the band that Gretchen Wilson is using. 
that's kind yeah. of the unit that's backing up Stephen as well. Yes, you know yeah. he is out with that band Aerosmith, uh, whatever. And uh, <laughs> in our free time, <laughs> we uh, it's kind of like an eagle, like the Eagles used to back Linda Ronstadt kind of thing. I okay. think that's what we're kind of doing. So it's an actual band. It's not like you're hiring six hired guns. You're hiring a band. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's the vision of it. Um, mm-hmm. And it's it's been really cool to do the Steven gig and then go and hit the Gretchen stuff and you know it's a whole different dynamic and different writing and you know well, pretty uh, cool to be able to switch well, yeah yeah I can imagine uh, and, but it, it also sounds like you're kind of in there's that unit that band unit that, that is sometimes hard to recreate when you have a bunch of hired guns thrown together and, absolutely and, yeah. and the fact that sometimes touring there isn't a lot of playing. People forget that, especially if you're opening up or you're yeah. doing short sets. Sometimes you play 20 minutes five times a week. I'm I'm sorry, that's just not very much drumming. And um, yeah. and so the fact that Why you guys, say, yeah, the hang is half of it, right? It is. It is. It's a. It's a. It's a big part of it. But I I just love. It's so cool that you guys as, with Gretchen. I you mentioned that you guys can. You're opening up for her, and then you're playing with her, and so you're you got these long sets on stage. That's got to be wonderful, breaking a sweat, yeah. actually playing. Yeah, it's not every night, but there's a couple opening dates. Yeah. Okay. And, cool. Yeah, and um, the double duty thing is cool, for sure. Yeah. Um, on on Stevens gig, um, I kind of went off on a tangent there. <laughs> on Stevens yeah. gig, um. I, I was reading in the in the Modern Drummer article that um, he he really loves drums. He really pays attention to what's going on there. Um, oh yeah. And can you talk a little bit about that that relationship um, that between him and well, you? Stephen uh, is just uh, an amazing musician. I don't even know if people know the half of it. Mm-hmm. You know, he played a harmonica, and he's like, this is flat, and threw it away. You know, and he, he's got a great ear. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, I mean, he started off as a drummer. And his first band, I think he was the drummer. Okay. Um, and, you know, he... God, he, could, he just hears everything, so it's hard, you know? <laughs> it's yeah. hard to get away with anything. Even the little nuance, of course, like a song like Walk This Way. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not it's not eighth notes on a hat. It's And that, that closed hat with the left foot is what creates that. It's, gotcha. not, it's not the stick on the hat. Gotcha. You know, he got on me for like little stuff like that. Or he starts mouthing this crazy rhythm. He's like, can you play that? <laughs> and we're at sound check. It's supposed to be sound check. And he just wants to have fun. Yeah. And then I'd start, like, he would mouth something or beatbox something, I would play it, and just the joy that overcomes him, like, when he challenges you and you meet his challenge, yeah, he just laughs like a little kid, you know? And, <laughs> and he just gets so happy, and, you know, and he's always trying to challenge you to do that stuff. And sometimes, he, you know, he'll come up on the drum kit, and he just puts the microphone in my face and makes me sing, and I'm like, oh, God, this is terrifying. <laughs> you know, he's, just, he's like a little kid up there. Um, so yeah, I mean, just, just playing with him in general as a musician and a drummer, um, it, 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 it's amazing to see a man with his career just have such joy 
instilled in him again. And, uh, you know, he, he hears everything you do. Yeah. So you ain't getting away with anything. Yeah. <laughs> and it's hard for me to go up and try to play these songs because we're not Aerosmith. I'm not Joey Kramer and I don't want to be. Yeah. And, but also Steven has known these songs to be this way for 30 years. Right. Right. So what, what do I do? Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I listened to a lot of the live Aerosmith stuff just for the keys and the live endings and stuff like that, because I couldn't imagine how a guy in his, you know, when we started with him, he was 67 years old, like how we couldn't really quite depart that hard from what he had known. So right. I tried to just learn Joey Kramer's stuff and then, and then throw my own little style into that. And okay. Steven has never, you know, never come down on me and he thinks mistakes are good and he thinks mistakes are live and he thinks that is rock and roll yeah you know he's not he's not going to come down on you for that okay okay you know um and that's what i love about him and has that been honestly your, the, has that been your approach with other people like say with maggie rose i know there's you have a little bit more invested as far as your own playing with her over time but maybe with gretchen um do you take the original tracks and then learn them, but then make it yours? Yeah, um, absolutely. I just, as long as the nuances are there, I definitely go off on my own a little bit. It's just more comfortable you get with the tunes, the more you're going to be able to play with them, you know? Yeah. So I just wanted to nail the set for what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll mimic the fills, but I'm not charting out Greg Morrow's fills on the record to play those. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not doing that. So, you know, um, but every other nuance that's supposed to be there, I hit. But yeah. we've added some things. We've added some endings, and we've extended parts and things like that sure. for her live show because she hasn't been on the road for three years oh, either, okay. you know? So yeah. we've been able to play with her set a little more. Fun. Um, okay. You know, uh, but as more comfortable as I get, I'm definitely stretching out a little more on her stuff. And, I mean, she's got covers in the set, so... We're doing Train Train uh, by Blackfoot, Barracuda, and then Rock and Roll. Oh, wow. So the whole set ends with ends with a drum solo. I'm like, <laughs> she's going to kill me. <laughs> I don't know how I've gotten away my whole life not having to play Barracuda, but I did until now. And I mean, it's, you know, it's <laughs> yeah. fun as hell, but I'm, I swear Gretchen Wilson is trying to kill me. It's fine. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Um, I had something here. Uh, that you mentioned in your article uh, taking private lessons with Jason Rulo. Is that how you say his last name? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And and one of the things that he kind of instilled upon you was staying healthy, and you know I think there was nutrition involved. I, I'm trying to remember what I I read, but yeah. I, I wanted to ask you kind of on that. How do you stay in shape? How do you stay healthy so that you can play all the drum solos you need to? Um, um, you know, that's always going to be a struggle, too, when you get older, I think. Um, <laughs> Tell me about it. <laughs> I have, yeah. I, um, you know, you think you're just going to remain at 27, and you're not. So I think health is a big part of it. Um, I, you know, I'm not as healthy as I once was, but I just, I swear I'm I'm getting back on the wagon now. 
I think it's literally limiting caffeine intake. You need to keep yourself hydrated. You need to not drink your face off, you know, and mm-hmm. my first tour and being in Nashville, my first tour as a national musician, I did not really follow that too well because, <laughs> you know, with Maggie, she was a, a opener and we were playing at 3 p.m. And well, the girls just loved whiskey back then. And, right. you know, and, and I, you know, I, I don't do that anymore. And I think for the Steven stuff, well, I don't even think we brought drinks on the stage for that, you know, and, yeah. and, uh, just to keep a professionalism about it, um, I do eat really healthy. I try to. Um, I really have a strong workout routine, especially with cardio. Okay. I think that's important to keep <clears throat> keep you healthy. You know, because you're you're going to be sweating up there, especially the way I play drums incorrectly. <laughs> <laughs> um, I for a woman also. I mean, you have to keep your upper body. Going and I, I do. I try to lift two to three times a week, oh, and wow. okay. um, you gotta do chest. You gotta do your biceps. You gotta do your tries. I mean, you you have to do that because you're not built with the same natural ability that a man is to do mm-hmm. this job. So, mm-hmm. um, unless you're playing jazz, when you're playing rock and roll drums, I think it does take a little more exertion. Mm-hmm. And I've just always had the belief to make strength cha- training. Uh, is part of my career. Part of your career is to maintain your health yeah. and to look good. Like yeah. your job is to look good on stage. Yeah, yeah. Like, and, and you can't let yourself go. Right. And uh, you know, do you think there's that, more that's pressure for men too? I was going to say, do, do, yeah, do you feel absolutely. like there's more pressure as a woman? Than... Oh yes, absolutely. Hmm. Does that suck? And that's just a double standard of men age like fine wine and women get older, you know, and that's unfortunate. But, you know, I, uh, you know, this is, this is my career. Part of it is, yeah, is maintaining health and try and looking good. Mm-hmm. And you go to the office, you put your suit on and your, your pantsuit on. And if you go to that stage, then you got to look good. And I just, I just have that belief and look at Steven Tyler. Yeah. I mean, not to say anymore. He's got a nicer ass than me. It's like not fair. It's like, hey, real, and guess who would? You know, he would be in the gym with me every morning. I, you know, yeah, we we would be working out together on tour. Yeah, yeah. We would. He had his green juice every morning, and he would wow. get me. You know, I was able to get one, nice. and I'd be juicing every morning on that tour. We would be at the gym. That's awesome. You know, we'd switch off doing leg presses, and I'm like, how is this possible? Where am I? Yeah, and, yeah. You yeah. know, and that's that's important for him. And and look at that, and then just learn from that. You yeah, know, and I get it. Yeah, I get. Yeah. I, I totally get it, man. I, that's 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 great. That's great. Well, yeah. What what do you do cardio wise? Do you just run, or do you do machines, or? No, I do elliptical. Yeah. Um, I don't do as much running just for joint right joint issues right. Um. So that's that's more my main speed, and also, you know, I I just I don't know the running the running thing. I don't know much I believe in that. I think cardio is just more um, uh, just nicer to your joints. Mm-hmm. Steven doesn't run either. He does elliptical and stair masters and stuff like that. Yeah, I think it builds glutes up. Um, it's funny, actually. That explains. I believe his- in doing this on. That explains yeah. his ass, I guess. Is. 
<laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, you know, on the road, I think it's important to keep this on the road as well. And, um, you know, in the Maggie camp, Maggie's really health conscious. She does all those boot camp classes and stuff like a crazy person. Yeah. But our bass player on that, I mean, he's like, he runs a hundred mile marathons. So yeah, he's insane. He runs like 23 hours. I'm like, you're something's wrong with you, but that's cool. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, so, you know, he has taught me a lot and I've, I've run with him. Like we went out, we did like a nine mile run, hike run thing up in California, uh, in May. And, he was awesome. He took me and I went to a real running shoe store and he, cause he does that. He does fittings for shoes as well. Uh-huh. Cause he just loves running. Yeah. And he took me, got me fitted for the right shoes and he got me, you know, they, they look at you, how you run and they, they kind of measure. I don't know. It's like the science of like getting you and fitted in the right shoe. And then they get you like the, the inserts and all that. And right. I've done that. He, it's he great. Did, yeah. He did that with me. That was cool. And that's, that's an important part about tour too is is having a couple guys or girls that keep you healthy and yes. you do it together. Yes. Yes. Because you know you're going to drink beers together, so <laughs> you got that as well. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. There's a New York Times article that was saying there's a correlation between people that drink and work out. And a lot of times, those <laughs> really? who drink, yeah. And when my when my wife tur- hit me to that article, I was like, I totally believe that because I'm cutting yeah. I'm cutting my drinking back a lot this this year, uh, which has been great. Awesome. It's helped. It's I, I feel like it's really helping my playing and my energy and everything yeah. like that. But um, I do I do work out quite a bit, and sometimes I get shit for it. Um, yeah, I'm not a big dude, but I'm just I'm. I'm in that camp that this I want to play drums for a really long time, and uh, yeah. and I I like to hit I like to hit as hard as I can you know or I like to make some noise so you want to keep it together. You keep saying taking chances. It seems like yeah. it's, it's starting to kind of really define an aspect of of what you bring to the table as a, as a as a musician and what's influenced you and what's inspired you and i think that people are getting it that work with yeah. you you know um thank you i hope i yeah yeah it's 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 really cool it's really it's it's inspiring um and and thanks for doing this it's been a blast to to get to know you thank a little you bit better. so much Thanks, Sarah. I'll let you go so you can get uh, get your uh, get your day together. And thanks again. And um, we'll stay in touch for sure. Thank you so much, Matthew. Be good, and I'll, I'll talk to you soon. Okay. Thanks, Sarah. Bye bye. So there you go, folks. I want to thank Sarah so much for taking some time. Uh, we tried about two or three or four times to get together. Uh, and it was just really hard between her schedule and mine, but uh, she is super busy. She's out on tour with Gretchen Wilson, as you probably heard, and uh, she is juggling about four or five projects all at the same time, and uh, it was just such an uh, just such a fun uh, time and an honor to get a chance to pick her brain a little bit and get her story. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with her. Uh, I want to mention a little bit about uh, Patreon one more time. I want to do a shout-out to one of our patrons that have signed up for Patreon, Mark Dome. He is from Amarillo, Texas. And um, 
he's become one of the patrons that's helping to support this podcast. And uh, part of his donation means we're going to do a quick profile on Mark. The thing about Mark, he's 52 years old. He's been playing for 44 years. He's never been a gigging drummer, but he's always played for the love and the passion for music. Uh, He says he's still improving and enjoying playing as much as ever. He uh, has been working as a government contractor for 32 years. He's been married for 27 years and is a father of three. He says they're all musicians, but none of them are drummers. But we just want to do a quick shout-out to Mark, and uh, we appreciate him so much. Also, thanks to Mike Jackson for his technical assistance. We are very, very, very close to getting our T-shirts up online for purchase and some stickers that we're going to make available. It is quite a few hoops to jump through to get this to happen, believe it or not. But thanks to Mike so much for helping me get that organized and his uh, weekly devotion to getting this episode to you. And next week will be Zach Albetta's uh, interview that he can provide for you. So again, keep in touch. Uh, keep the comments coming, uh, downloads, uh, participate however you feel that you can to keep this going. Uh, we uh, really appreciate it so much. And I hope to see you around. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.